We're in the midst of a two-week sermon series called Love and Hate. Last week we dealt with what God loves. That's all of us. We dealt with that because of uh, Worldwide Communion Sunday. What a powerful time to be reminded of what God did for us. Today we're going to talk about a subject that's not so fun. It's what God hates. And it's not always the best of the best. Now we started last week's sermon by um, by doing a game called Love and Hate Game. And so we're going to kind of continue with that theme this week. And we're going to have a little bit of a love and hate game. And this is how we play that game, alright? Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you several questions. I'm going to ask you, do you like something? And if you love it, I'm going to ask you, if you love it, please raise your hand. And then I'm going to ask you, if you hate it, please raise your hand. Now I have to apologize to like three or four people in the congregation because last week I said the only one that likes sushi is my wife Michelle. Um, however, Debbie, evidently your hand was up and some others' hands were up and I didn't see those hands, so I apologize. Me seeing hands from up here is like, yeah, right, that's not happening. So, um, my apologies for that. But here's the first question. Board games. Board games. Do you like board games? If you love board games, put your hands in the air, please. All right, does anybody hate board games? Oh, the kids are all raising their hands. That's because we didn't have video games when we were kids. Anyway, um, how about, now this should be all love. If there's somebody in here that hates this, I'm going to have to have a talk with you after the service. Ice cream. Ice cream. How many people love ice cream? A little too much, right? A little too much. How many people hate ice cream? I'm not even going to look because I don't want to talk to you after the worship service. I don't want to have any, I mean, you know, uh, that's not my, my job. Apple pie. Apple pie. How many people love apple pie? Now, I'm going to raise my hand on this one, but the next one I'm definitely not raising my hand on. And then hate. How many people hate apple pie? This came to mind because we were at an apple orchard yesterday with Freddie, and so uh, it kind of just stuck in my head. Um, how about shoe fly pie? I will not put my hand up for love shoe fly pie. Um, my family does, but I don't. Um, how about hate shoe fly pie? I will definitely raise my hand on that. I don't like the texture. Anyway. And then last, it's new and fresh, it's reality TV shows. Reality TV shows. So you know them, they're all over the, the, the TV now, everything's a reality. I don't know how much reality is really in reality TV shows, but anyway, um, do you like, love reality TV shows? Just put your hand up, I'm not looking, believe me, because um, I don't want to say anything. How many people hate reality TV shows? You would rather, you know, pluck your eyes out or something than watch reality TV shows. So the question is begged to be answered here this morning is this. What is it that God loves and what is it that God hates? We teach kids not to hate, right? I mean, I, I teach Freddie all the time. Don't hate that kid that pushed you in the, in the bathroom the other day. Don't, don't hate him. Love on him. Show forgiveness to him. But isn't God hating some things a reality? 
I mean, we don't like to talk about that word. We tell people not to use that word. It's a strong word. But God does hate certain things. Now, I'm not going to mention certain things this morning. That doesn't mean that I don't think that he doesn't hate them. It's just that I'm going to be very generic this morning so that no one feels too pressured. But also to let you know that the very real reality is is that he does hate certain things. And we're going to take a look now at Proverbs chapter 6. It's on your sermon outline. You can also follow along on the screen, but it's also on your sermon outline. You can also follow along in your Bible, but we're not going to stay here very long. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You notice how people sit up when we talk about things that God hates. Why is that? Because here's why. (laughs) You don't want to be on that list. That's why we sit up. That's why we take notice. You're listening probably more intently this morning than maybe you even did last week. I don't want to be on that list. But God is passionate. Makes us feel distant from God to do things He would not approve of, doesn't it? I mean, my parents are here this morning, and I already had this kind of in my head, so I got to go through with it anyway. But there's nothing that makes you feel more distant from your parents than when you've disappointed them. And it hurts. And I'm seeing it from a whole new perspective now. I got to tell you, when Freddie knows he disappoints me, the boy is like melting butter. Because all he wants me to do is say, I'm proud of you. And if that's the way the father and the son relationship is, how much more with God? It's so much more intense. I mean, we're not just talking earthly father, son, earthly father, daughter. We're talking heavenly father and children on earth. It gets intense and then we feel, we feel disconnected. But here's the reality on the next slide. We don't want to feel distant from God. That's a sermon outline blank, by the way. We don't. I don't know anybody that comes to church and says, you know, I really hope if there's one thing I get out of this service that I feel distant from God. If there is, I apologize deeply, but I hope that's not your prayer coming in. Nobody prays for that. Nobody asks for that, but it happens. And do you feel distant from God? Many people say yes because of various reasons. Here's some reasons that I came up with in my notes. My, my loved one passed away. I can't overcome this habit that I have. Nothing goes my way. I have a dead-end job. No close friends. Bad marriage. What did I do wrong? Other people seem to connect to God, but Pastor Brett, why can't I? This brings us to the next logical question. What does God 
hate. Because if we want to know why we are disconnected from God, then we have to know what disconnects us. And we already know that what disconnects us is is when we do things that disappoint Him, that He hates. And so therefore, the logical question that I came to in the preparation of this sermon was, what, what does He hate? And you'll see the first answer there for you. God hates the loneliness we feel from the distance we create. I want you to, I, want, I, I pick my words very, very tightly on this sermon. Listen, God hates the loneliness we feel when we are disconnected from Him from the distance that who creates? We create. God doesn't look at us and go, you're doing one of those things at Proverbs 6 and I, I just, you know what, I'm walking out of your life. No, we create it. Because we kind of do what Freddie does with me. He's disappointed. Brett's disappointed in me. What am I going to do to make him be proud of me again? And we go down a bad theological road. Because there's nothing you can do to make God more proud of you right now even if you're doing what's listed in Proverbs 6. Because He loves so passionately, He's got to hate. Look, if He loved passionately and didn't hate, that's a mix match that's not going to work. Because I love my children so passionately, I hate when I get a report That they did something that wasn't proper. Because I want the best for them. Now I'm nowhere close to the Heavenly Father who is perfect in doing this. And so when when they do things, I do hold on to it a little longer than what God does. And that's why when I mess up with God, I somehow think, well, you know what? I better do my devotions more this week because, man, I really messed up back there in that meeting. God's looking at me going, you really think you can make me love you more? I sent my son, my only son, to die on a cross for you. You think you can make me love you more? I have no more sons to send. I sent the one and the only as a perfect sacrifice for you. Two ways we create distance from God. Here's the first way. Our sin distances us from God. Our sin distances us from God. Now listen to these passages. Here's the first one. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned Excuse me, I lost my... for For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you've heard me say this Scripture passage before, and you've heard me say what I'm about to say. Do you notice the words that are in the Scripture passage? All. Who's all? All is all. That means there's no one sitting in this room this morning or down at junior church this morning or in the nursery this morning that doesn't do it. 
Very simple. For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Then we go to John 3.17, which says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, one of the things that creates distances is that we think that God is condemning us. You, you ever do something bad and you know you did something bad and then something happens. For instance, you're driving your car. I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but you're driving your car and you have an accident. And what's your first thought because you did something bad earlier in the day? Oh, God's getting me back, man. I should have seen that car pulling out in front of me. I didn't because God's getting me back. John 3.17, and we're going we're gonna to dive into this more next week, so I don't really want to cover too much of it this morning. But I do want to say this much. God's, God, God in John 3.17, in, in, his, in His discourse with Nicodemus, He says something here. Jesus says something here that's powerful. And what He says is, I didn't come to pay you back. I didn't come to put you down. I came for one purpose. To save the world. Period. I came to love you. I didn't come to hold you accountable for something that simply is not what my job was. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then in James chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then after desire has conceived, its birth gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Here's what happens. When we begin our sin and we begin to do things wrong, what happens is we give birth to something else. It's it's like conceiving. It really is. And and so if you take David in, 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 in Samuel, when he looks at Bathsheba, he comes out of his palace, he looks at Bathsheba, and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath, which at first we're thinking to ourselves, what in the world is she taking a bath on the top of her house for? Well, that's how the way they did it back then. If David doesn't look anymore, and David goes back in his house and says, man, that Bathsheba, she's a good looking woman, and just leaves it go, nothing gets conceived. But what happens in David's story? Wow, she's a good-looking woman. Hey, guard, come here a second. Go down and get her. I want to talk to her. Talking leads to you-know-what. Leads to a baby being born and dying. Because God doesn't fool around with adultery, friends. Because God wants us to understand that conceiving sin is horrible. It's not the first look that kills David. It's calling her up to his room, understanding, hey, listen, I know full well I'm a full-blood, redded American Jew. David, that is. I know what's going to happen here, but I'm going to call her up anyway and think I'm going to Talk to her. Get to know her. (laughs) And James is right on. What happens is it leads to, let me get it right, the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
A powerful illustration of what can happen. I like to call James chapter um, James chapter two verse fifteen the or James chapter one verse fifteen the alligator roll. And you might not understand that, but let me explain to you. When an alligator grabs his prey, the thing he does is he rolls with it. Just keeps on rolling. Gets them all discombobulated. They don't know where they're at. But the alligator knows. He kills them. You want to know what God takes serious? The alligator role of death when we get caught up in sin. And Satan will just keep on rolling you. He will. You say, I'm going to stop. I've heard it all before. I'll stop this now, Pastor. I'll stop that. I'll stop this. I'll stop that. And what God says is, watch what happens. You just keep on rolling. And before you know it, you have no more breath. G.K. Chesterton once was asked in a newspaper article, what's wrong with the world? And his reply to the editorial was this. Two words. I am. G.K. Chesterton, I can't say his name five times fast, was one of the greatest preachers ever to live. Loved his Lord. And a newspaper asked him, what's wrong with the world? I am. See, don't think that we aren't a part of the problem. Because we are. Number two, our complacency distances us from God. Distances us from God. Our complacency distances us from God. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Listen. <laughs> Here's what the proverb is saying. And I, I've heard this from people, not here, not here, but I've heard it from people through my ministry years. Look, Pastor, I know two things. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. And you can't ask me to go farther than that. I may not, but he sure does. If you think you can just stay where you're at in your faith and it's not going to catch up to you, think again. Complacency of fools. People who sit back and say, I got it. I know the answer. I'm mindful of what I need to do. Waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Sitting still. In his book, Christian Atheist, Craig Goschel says these words, You believe in God, but you live your life as if He doesn't exist. Whoa. Andy Becker and I, and Andy didn't know he was going to be brought up in his sermon this morning, so I apologize, brother, but I'm going to bring you up anyway. Um, 
we were texting yesterday because I was at an orchard and there was some cool games there and I wanted him to see them as the outreach director for Community Fun Fest. And he said, are you in some kind of weird mood? Because I was like cracking jokes back to him. What I said to Andy was my, my, my wife and my son were on the hayride and I was just sitting there kind of looking at my daughter and trying to rock her back and forth. And so, you know, Andy, I... I had a turn-of-the-corner event in my life here just, just today. Either God's got this, God's got my children in His hands, or He doesn't. Either God's got Faith Church in His hands, or He doesn't. See, I can walk around here like a sourpuss, and be all angry at everybody because, you know, commitment levels or whatever. Or I can trust God. And I can say, you know what? God's got this. And so as I sat there and he asked me, you know, what size should this thing be? And I was like shooting back unbelievable figures. I think it all be 100 foot by 200 foot or whatever. And he's writing back, what are you, crazy? And I'm writing back, yeah, I am a little crazy. But I was just in a gray mood because I just, I just was sitting there in the calmness of an apple orchard and thinking about all the struggles in my life, thinking about my family who may or may not be with me permanently. I'm thinking about everything going on at the church, community fun fest, like the night, uh, communion uh, on election night, uh, prayer service for election night. All this stuff is piling up on me and I'm thinking to myself, I can either do one of two things. I can drop over right here at the apple orchard of a heart attack because I'm so worried about it and i got to have my hands in everything or I can trust God that He's big enough to handle it. I'm choosing the second. And that's what this is talking about. I get so complacent sometimes. And I'm just being real with you this morning. You may not like it, but that's, that's tough. Because honestly, that's who I am. I get so complacent sometimes that I, that I think I can just kind of go off of my old spiritual growth. Whatever I learned in youth group, I can dig that up and that'll be good enough. I don't have to be in a discipleship process right here, right now. No, I never have to be in a discipleship process again because I spent all of my years as a high school student in youth group. Baloney. And Satan will use it to take you down a path that will destroy you according to Proverbs chapter 1. Baloney. You have to be in a discipleship process. <laughs> you may say, who would ever want to do this? That is, stay complacent. We do. We do. We should hate our sin. And we shouldn't befriend it. We shouldn't sugarcoat things. Let me put up a list of things for you here. Here's what I came up with. Here's why we sugarcoat it sometimes. 
we say to ourselves in our hearts and in our, in our, even in our heads and even maybe to our wives or to our husbands, we say, I screwed up last night. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm having a hard time getting into the Word. Prayer hasn't really been consistent. It's just innocent little flirting. Nothing's going to happen. If this is my only vice that I have to deal with this, it's no big deal. Instead, here's what the truth should be. Let me just put these up for you. I looked at something that I shouldn't look at. I don't trust God. God's going, I I don't trust God's going to provide for me. Other things are just more important to me than God right now, Pastor. And God. Prayer has no value to me. I feel like God's either not there or doesn't care. See, we sugarcoat it sometimes in 2016, don't we? We say things like, it's not that bad, Pastor. Who cares if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or boyfriend? And what God says is, um, sugarcoating isn't going to help you grow. The truth will set you free. Sugarcoating will just get you cavities. So truth has to outweigh sugarcoating. That list went on, by the way, of truth. And here's the other part of the truth list. I missed this on my sermon outline here. I want her more than my wife, some of us would say, and give her too much attention. I think I'll get peace from the bottom of an ice cream carton instead of focusing on the Prince of Peace. Or supersized from a drive through window is where I'll get peace. Here's a key point. I want you to get this. Don't befriend your sin. Call it what it is. Garbage. Listen, what happens is, is that in our mind's heart, and young people, you are struggling with this just as well as the older people. In your mind's heart, what you want to do is you somehow want to convince yourself it's okay. So we sugarcoat it. We say things that are not appropriate. And what God does is He looks down on us and says, I kind of don't like that. No, He doesn't say that. He says, I hate it. And so here's what Philippians 3.8 says. And Paul in Philippians 3.8 says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, Paul says it. I didn't come up with that statement. Paul says it. Look, everything I do for Christ is great and wonderful. 
what I don't do for Christ, the things that I see, the things that I make remarks about, the things that I do, that's garbage. And it stinks. It, it, it just does. It's... So here's what this leads us to. It leads us to another question. Do you ever feel distant from God? And honestly, if you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, you know, Pastor, I was already feeling pretty distant, and now you're just making me feel like I got this chasm. Well, let me encourage you a little bit. You were in pretty good shoes. Listen to Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. You're not alone. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David, a man after God's own heart, a man that's got it all together. He's the king of, king of uh, Israel. He's got all this stuff going on. And what does he ask? What's the first thing he asks? Why, God, do you feel so far off? Why do you stand so far off? He's seeing the disconnection. Probably because he's sinning at the time. But not probably. That is why he's feeling the disconnection. And so, David is in your shoes. But then as if that David is not enough. Listen to Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> it's in red for a reason. Jesus said it. Now, you're not only in David's shoes if you feel like you're far from God, but you're in Jesus' sandals um, as He hangs... I don't think He even had sandals on. As He hangs from the cross. And what does He do? He looks up. And at the moment that a son should see his father encouraging him to take on the sin of the world, clapping for him, giving him praise because he's doing this, what does Jesus find? The back of his father turned the whole way around. And at the moment he needed it the most, he couldn't even find his father's face. Why? Because sin rested on the shoulders of Jesus and God could no longer look at that sin. And He had to turn His back. And break that bond of father-son. Catch me here. Catch me here. That same sin that was on the son's shoulders that allowed the father to turn his back on the son is the sin that you're thinking about right now. And if you sit here and you think that I can just do this thing and do this thing and not get caught up in it, you got more power than Jesus? You're better than God Himself? So God brings it around and He says, listen, even my own Son felt the distance from Me. This leads me to a promise that you can take to the bank if you're a betting person which I hope you're not but if you are here's a promise you can bank on even when we feel distant from God God is not distant 
from us. Let me read this again. Because some here need to hear it. And and maybe I'm one of them. (laughs) We need to hear this truth. Even when we feel distant from God, God is not distant from us. So when you feel like God is four blocks away, He's really standing right here. Now that can play in two different ways. I'll tell you how I got straightened out. One of my youth pastors when I was growing up said this to us. He said, God is right there with you at all times. And it's a good theological statement. But then he went a little farther. (laughs) He said, even when you're out on your date with your girlfriend. Oh. So the next time you want to do something with that girlfriend that is not appropriate, picture yourself doing this. God, could you get out of my way? All of a sudden, my dates took on a whole new look. I didn't want to be guilty of saying, God, could you get out of my way? And that's really what we're doing. Because even though he feels distant, he's not distant. Ask Jonah. What does Jonah do? He runs from God. And he says, I'm going to play hide and go seek with God. And he feels distant from God because God wants him to go and reach those dirty Ninevites. Those filthy, rotten, sinner Ninevites. And he's like, ah, I'm a little too good for the Ninevites. I don't think I need to go reach them. And so he walks away and he gets on a boat and what happens? The storm comes and God gets his attention by putting him in the belly of a big fish. Jonah learned a hard lesson. And that lesson was that God's not going to sit by idly while you push him off to the side. He's going to fight for you. See, it's the very thing that we want that we fight. We want God to fight for us. We want God to go to bat for us. But then when He starts to do it, we get frustrated. Don't we? I mean, we, we want Him to, to love us so much that he'll, he'll throw things in our ways to make us think about Him. But then when He does it, we say, would you get out of the way? I'm having fun down here. Would you get out of the way? I, I can't do that. And God says, no, 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 you can. Here's what the Word of God has to say in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, He will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to understand that what Paul's writing here is he covers everything. You say, I could go too high? Height. You say, there's powers in my life, there's demons that that fight me, and and, you know, Satan made me do it, the old excuse, Satan made me do it? Powers. You say you could go to the depths and hide from him and not feel his love. Go to the depths and you will feel his love. Right there it says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. So as if, you, as if you could think of something else, Paul clarifies it and says, look, stop thinking. 
I'm going to cover it right now. Everything you look around here tonight, that tree outside that window, that house across the street, whatever you look at, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So stop looking for Him. Because there's nothing, neither high, nor low, nor power, nor angel, nor anything that can separate you from the love of God. And we look for it. You know, I'm in the depths of this of this situation, Pastor, and, and I just feel like I'm far from God. And God says, no, you're not. And here's the question that ends the final question. Is God with you at your highest high and lowest low? Look, what I signed up for when we entered this journey, Michelle and I, I signed up for getting two kids dropped at our house or one kid dropped at our house, going to the court system, getting them signed over and having us have them as our children. What I've gotten is far from that. Now we're waiting for another couple weeks until we find out anything. And God brought up to me in my office, look, am I the God of your God? Am I the God of you? Am I the King of Kings in your highest high and your lowest low? Or am I not? That's a question we all have to answer right now. Yeah, you might be experiencing a broken relationship right now. Is He the God of your lowest low and your highest high? Maybe you're experiencing a graduation or something proud. You got a great job. You got something else. Is He the God, the same God of your highest high as your lowest low? It's a tough question to answer. While I want to scream from the mountaintops, yes, He is. Let that decision go the way I don't want it to. Maybe I'll find out differently. Is he the God, Faith Church, of the lowest low? And is he the God of the highest high? Because that's the question he's asking us as community, as connectional ministry, as a church. Sure, sometimes the money and the budget and the other things will not match up. Is He the God of the highest high and the lowest low? Or is He not? You take sin of any kind serious. Or is there a capability inside of you to gloss over it? Do you take sin of any kind serious? Or is there like every other human being and you would not be alone that opportunity to just gloss over it? I want to go back to Proverbs chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to notice something. If you go back and read it on the top of your screen, on the top of your, uh, your sermon outline, the last thing he detests is people who bring up divisions in the community. Now, automatically when I read that scripture passage, I thought, okay, what that means is if I go out here to this neighbor over here in this house and I say to them, you know, 
Hey, you know the other neighbor's talking about you? He's saying all kinds of nasty stuff about you. That's causing division in the community. Here's the problem. Proverbs is talking about something else, too. It's talking about here. In the community. And here's what I want to tell you something. I want you to hear this loud and clear. If you don't right now believe that God is the God of the highest high and the lowest low, you need to do what the video told us to do in the offering. You need to fight like crazy to get there. It's that serious. If you do not believe that the God is the God is the God of the highest and the God of the lowest right now in your life, you need to fight like crazy to get there. Because this body depends on it. We should not put on an outreach for 90-some people at the budget level that we are at currently. Shouldn't do it. Should not do it. But yet somehow we have done it for three years now. If you do not believe that God is the God of the highest and the God of the lowest, you better fight like heck to get there. We should not be able to celebrate like tonight, like we do, giving away hundreds of hot dogs at the budget level that we are currently at. But yet, somehow we've done it for more than three years. If you do not believe that the God of the highest is the the God of the lowest, you better fight to believe it. You see, God continues to show Himself faithful and we just kind of gloss over it. We should not be able to provide 10 prizes for a costume contest. We should not be able to provide bicycles for an Easter egg hunt. We should not be able to provide all of these things, yet somebody raises up and the God of the God of the highest and the God of the lowest, things come together. I don't want to hear about the negative. I want to go out and reach people. I don't want to hear about, talk about reaching people. Let's do it. If God is the God of the highest and He's also the God of the lowest, He's got it. He's already got a plan. We just have to join Him. And so I want you to remember that as you go from here this morning. I want you to think of that as you kind of challenge yourself to go from here this morning, to, to fight like the Dickens to get back to there. So that when you're at your lowest low, you know God's on the throne. He's going to take care of this. When you're at your highest high, you know, even if I'm at my lowest lowest, God's got me. Here's the difference. It's be, the difference between a healthy acorn that falls from the tree. That's going to be the next slide. A healthy acorn that falls from the tree and a dead acorn that falls from the tree. What happens when the healthy one hits the ground and plants itself? New life is born. What happens when the dead one hits the ground and plants itself? Absolutely nothing. Can I share with you, if you believe that God is the God of the highest and the lowest, you're a healthy acorn this morning. I'm not calling you all acorns. 
you get the point. And when you hit the ground, when you fall out of the tree, when a trial hits your life and Hurricane Matthew comes through and it rocks your tree and the acorn falls out and you're that acorn and you hit the ground and you plant, guess what happens? New life happens. And God gets the credit and God gets the glory. But if you do not believe that God is the God of the lowest and the highest and you are one of those dead acorns that's up there on the left hand or the right yeah, whatever side that is for you, the black side. Um, that, that is the side of the dead acorn. If you are one of those people, then what happens is life hits you, storms hit you, and the acorn falls out of the tree and hits and plants, and guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. You just become a hole in the ground. No new life. God doesn't use it because you don't believe. I got to tell you why I signed up to come here. Because I believe that there was a whole lot of healthy acorns at Faith Church in Temple, PA. And I still believe it. Do you believe it? You need to believe it. We can do some damage if we believe it. Good damage, not bad damage. Damage for the kingdom of God if we are healthy acorns. And when we fall, we bring new life and give God the glory. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. We thank You, Lord, for the fact that, yes, You do hate. But Lord, notice what we said here this morning. We did not say you hate people. You hate the actions that the people do sometimes. And even in that hate, Lord, you are not far from us. Because even in the lowest low, even when David was doing all the things that David did, you were still there for him. And even in the highest high, you were still there for him. And Lord, if there's one thing I want this church, I want this pastor to get through his head as well. This is that you will be with us in the lowest low and the highest high. You will provide for us. You will give us opportunities to do outreaches that we should not be able to do. You will give us opportunities to do discipleship projects that we should not be able to do. When you look at all things. But because you are the God of the highest and the lowest, you provide avenues that we would never ask or imagine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to hear these words, starting with me, And may, Lord, each person is here today that could answer that question. Hey, listen, I I don't believe He's the God of the lowest. When I'm low, I'm low. I don't believe He follows me. May you be able to allow them to walk out of here and to fight to believe that. It's a battle because Satan wants us to believe elsewhere. 
And may You also, Lord, help those who could answer, yes, I do believe He's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. To continue down that path. To be encouraged in that walk. And to not give up on His church or on Him. And may you be strengthened, or may we be strengthened to do your work here at Faith Church. Thank you, Lord, for each person represented here. Bless them, strengthen them, and allow them to walk out of here differently this morning after singing the closing hymn together. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. And all God's people said... I'm going to leave you with one of those verses. I think this is why I picked this hymn. I know it is. When darkness veils His lovely face, I will rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Amen.